Hey loves, it's me, Brie, your favorite black feminist podcaster, coming at you with all things pleasure, feel good, so we can feel better. On today's episode, I'm talking about reading, community, and how critique is one of my favorite restorative justice practices. So stay tuned, we're going to get into this intro music, and then my announcements, and then dive into a plentiful conversation. Mwah! So first off, I want to say a huge thank you and a, a welcome to all of my new patrons over on the Patreon, y'all. The Patreon took off in the month of June. I know we're about halfway through, but already we've seen tremendous amounts of growth that allow me to keep paying all the black women who helped me create this content. So for our brave patron shout outs, shout out to Yara, Zael, Kim, Rebecca, Barb. C, Gloria, Maya, Stevie, Ashley, Laura, Megan, Vita, Liam, and Gina. Thank you all for continuously supporting me at that highest tier of $10 a month that allows me to keep buying books, paying people, creating content. It is no small feat to invest in somebody and give me personally $10 every month to keep creating. I see you all. I love you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So shout out to y'all. If you want to tap in and become a part of this amazing group of people over on my Patreon, my page is www.patreon.com slash breed so it's just my name b-r-y-r-e-e-d and you'll find me in all of my different tiers and you can sign up to give me three dollars five dollars ten dollars a month whatever you're comfortable with and that is a continuous sustainable way to give to my work and all of my different projects for one-time gifts you can um, send me donations via cash app at dollar sign brie b-r-y-r over there on cash app and on Venmo, it's at B-R-Y-R-E-E-D. Um, so most things are my name on most platforms. So that's how you can give via Patreon, Cash App, and Venmo. I appreciate everything, and it goes back into everything I love and create and read. So thank you so much um, for everybody who gives. Thank you to Corbin, <laughs> um, who always gives and supports me and lifts me up as just a special shout-out um, to her. Getting into other announcements, I have events coming up, which is (laughs) low-key incredible to say. So if you're listening to this, this episode should come out on June 19th, Um, so a little late, but I'll still plug it in. I'm doing a Blink social panel about Juneteenth and race in the United States on June 18th. Um, It's going to be over on Zoom. If you follow me on Instagram, I've been posting about it for a while and you can register via the Blink Social Instagram page. Something y'all can catch, which will be coming the day after this podcast goes live, is I'm doing a restorative justice IG live with my big sister Barb um, over on Instagram on June 20th at 1pm. We're going to get into student organizing restorative justice putting into practice in your interpersonal relationships and all of that good stuff we're also giving away five wait a minute (gasps) five 
black feminist texts that changed the way we looked at restorative justice, changed the way we looked at love and loving and care. You have to be present on the IG Live to win um, so that we can see you, tap in with you, and get your information. So you have to be present to win. So make sure you tune into the event. And then lastly, not an event, but something I am happy to share. As some of you may know, I'm a part of the Smart Brown Girl syllabus cohort for the Smart Brown Girl Book Club, which does so many incredible things um, from creating content to author talks and so many incredible events. And for the month of June, I wrote the syllabus. So I wrote the syllabus for June's book, Women of Brewster Place by Gloria Naylor, who is one of my top five authors, Unmatched. So in order to participate in the Smart Brown Girl Book Club, head over to Facebook, join the book club, tap in, buy the syllabi on the Smart Brown Girl website, and you'll be supporting me and a plethora of other incredible black women who are doing this work and are committed to doing this work. So again, that's the Blink Social panel on June 18th. The Restorative Justice IG Live is on June 20th at 1 p.m. And you can always and forever tap into the Smart Brown Girl Syllabus Cohort um, by going to the website and going to Facebook and joining that group. Moving on from announcements, let's get into this good content for this week as we talk about reading, which is one of my favorite subjects. So I'm really excited. And I also want to talk about this, especially as it relates to the ongoing state of the world at large and our individual communities, whether those be our geographic communities in cities, towns and spaces, or through our social communities of people that we engage with, people that we are deeply invested in and people that we love. So that's where I want to begin the conversation. And so that the context is understood that when I say community, it's not solely relegated to the place, the land in which you navigate um, and where you find yourself. It's also these digital communities. It's these communities that you create outside of the place that you live that extend beyond your zip code and are still deeply important to you. So please keep that in mind throughout this conversation. And maybe that's the question that we start with, right? Like, what do you name as your community? Who is your community? And approaching this conversation would be a lot easier for you once you name that and put that out there for yourself. So amidst the ongoing protests across the world and those throughout the United States, there is a social media push around reading, learning, and unpacking. Every time I get on Instagram, there's a new infographic, a new post, a new campaign to get people to read, learn, share. And some of the buzzwords that are out there are whiteness, anti-racism, racism, white supremacy. And I say buzzwords because of the way that things enter the social media realm and become social currency and become commodified as ways that we signify to other people that we care about things, that we are invested in change, and that we are good people. Whereas these terms are deeply invested in, in theory and knowledge production that has happened through people's learned experiences, through people's years and decades worth of work. And I do not want to devalue that scholarship that people, namely black women and black feminists, have created and crafted for us. And so amidst this social media landscape, a couple of things are happening. In the core of this push is a need to understand the conditions of white supremacy that set the stage for police brutality, because a lot of this 
is in the aftermath of the loss of George Floyd, which has catalyzed a lot of people into movement work and movement spaces, whether that be on the ground, direct action with organizers or online support of these actions. And so also naming that this push is a very abrupt need as a result of death, of loss, and how that's motivating people in different ways. It's no small feat to take on the task of reading and wanting to know more, but also understanding that this moment is amplified because we're in a moment of people reacting to the the different emotions around police, policing, police brutality, and black death. And so all of these things together inform how we're approaching what needs to be read. Who are we reading and what are we reading them for? And one of my pet peeves is anti-racism book lists. Wait a minute! And a lot of people, when they look at my content and how much I encourage people to read and how much I'm deeply invested in education and investing in black feminist thought as a way to undoing the violences of this world would be surprised (laughs) that I don't like anti-racism book lists. But then again, if you really think about it, you'll understand why. And a lot of that is because anti-racism book lists for me cherry pick different pieces of black feminist theory and make it palatable in a way that removes the context, the, the lived experience, and the, the core of what a lot of people that I hold in high esteem were teaching us and were talking about. If you want to learn about standpoint theory, if you want to learn about the things that drive black feminism, I need you to read Black Feminists, not the distillation of black feminist thought through different chapters and listicles. I want you to get into the nitty gritty of the thing and learn about it. But I also recognize that entry points are important. And so I hold that too, that people need places to enter into a conversation. And so I think that some good things that are coming out of this social media moment is people are producing political education that is driving so many people to inquire, to interrogate, and to dismantle their own understandings of the world in which they find themselves. And I think that is beautiful. So I do appreciate all of the content creators, all of the educators who are teaming up with graphic designers, who are teaming up with audio, visual producers, and production teams to get out content and webinars that are pushing the conversation forward in accessible ways. And as we talk about access, that's why I really want to spend a few minutes of this conversation on thinking about What is access when we're talking about reading and how is that directly connected to what we consider to be community? And I'm here to tell you that all reading is not the same. And I, oh, let me say it again. All reading is not the same. I do not read the same way I did a year ago. I do not read the same way I did two years ago. I do not read the same way I did when I entered undergrad in 2016. You can read and still have questions. You can read and still be violently ignorant to your own investment in anti-blackness because reading is not a band-aid for all of the ills of the world at the start. You have to continue to read and be in community with people and ask questions, ask questions of others and yourself. You have to be open to critique and criticism. You have to be open. You must be vulnerable in order to read well. You must ask questions of everything to read well. You must be willing to be questioned to read well. 
because reading is an interactive process of engagement that requires us to give something up. It requires us to give up our ego. It requires us to deeply invest in the work of others and trust that their words are valuable. Because anti-blackness is profitable, socially accepted, and encouraged, and so reading and reading of black feminism and other scholarship that pushes us to interrogate anti-blackness is uncomfortable. You are going to have to reckon with parts of yourself that have been taught that certain behaviors are inherent, are the norm, are good, and you're going to have to, to look at the page interact with those words and come up with your own conclusions about who you are and who you are now committed to being now that you know because that's really a test of of being a good reader for me um and it comes back to something my mother and grandmother say all the time is when you know better you do better and that's my relationship to reading if I know better I do better and doing better does not always have to be taking things at face value, but it's interacting with the world in such a way that I know what I'm doing stands true to who I want to be and who I am becoming in a constant practice of of being better, showing up, and being called in or being called out. And for me, reading brings up questions of accessibility in three ways. The first is language. So many people talk about reading being accessible because they can't understand the vocabulary, the vernacular of different scholarship, of different works. And I'm here to tell you that that's okay. Fighting with text is okay. Things do not come easy. These books that you are reading were not productions that took a small amount of time, hopefully. They did not spring up from the ground already well put together. It's okay to fight with the work. It is especially okay to have to fight for the work in the scholarship of black feminists. It is especially okay to have to fight with the work of black feminisms and to understand that black studies as a whole deserves you wanting to invest in it enough to fight with it the same way that you would invest in physics, calculus, or other things that have their own vocabularies and skill sets. You have to fight with it. You have to fight for it. You have to show an investment in this work for it to give you what you want to get out of it. You're not going to pick up a voice from the South and automatically know everything that Anna Julia Cooper is saying. You're just not. But you have to invest enough in the work and say, I know Anna Julia Cooper is valuable. I know her work is valuable. I'm going to fight with these pages until I figure out what Anna Julia Cooper was fighting to tell me. And that is engagement with reading. That is why all reading is not the same. Because you have to engage, you have to fight. So the first step is language. And for something on that, I would point you to Toni Morrison's Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech, which is one of the most beautiful pieces I have ever heard about language in my entire life. Step two um, to the three ways that we should talk about accessibility when talking about reading is wealth and thinking about the ways that wealth affects who has access to different resources in a very material way. Being wealthy gives you more capital in which to acquire knowledge. You can pay for JSTOR subscriptions or you're already enrolled in institutions that equip you with JSTOR subscriptions. You're most likely aligned to institutions where you can do interlibrary loan if your own local library through 
those channels doesn't have knowledge or text, you can procure it from other places. And it also means you have access to other people with other means of knowledge and acquiring text. Um, So thinking about how wealth is a very real way to talk about accessibility, right? Like, how are we investing in public archives? How are we, people with institutional access, using that to decolonize the academy and are sending links um, to pieces we've downloaded? How are we making our libraries open source? How are we sending different articles, different pieces of knowledge to people? Think about, as much as we think about language, and that's conversation around accessibility how are we thinking about literal wealth and access and the third point I want to talk about with accessibility and community (laughs) in reading is community right and thinking about in our social slash digital spaces who are we reading with are we encouraging our friends to read how are we talking about reading with people and also in our physical communities are there public libraries Are there programs that are taking place around reading? Is there a no-name book club chapter in your city? If not, can you start an informal one? Thinking about if you're not reading with your friends and family, why is that? Do you prefer not to do it in that space? What does that say about the space? Do you have friends around you who love to read? Do you have friends around you who are invested in reading? Would it be helpful to start a, a book club amongst your friends, amongst your friends and acquaintances, your peers? These are questions that get us thinking deeper about the ways that reading becomes an act of restorative justice, a restorative practice, an investment in learning things that we want to know and being willing to fight for them. Because I think that fighting for something shows an act of good faith because good faith engagement is important. If somebody wants to know something from me but has shown no agency around having gone to find the knowledge for themselves that definitely affects the way that I engage them because I'm not Google I am not your personal archivist and when people engage me as the resource I feel commodified I feel undervalued and I feel like people think that they should understand black studies outright without having years months or even weeks of investment in the matter I have been a student of black studies for five years, four years formally, but my entire life I've been surrounded by black studies scholarship. And it took a buying in, an investment, a commitment to being mentored, to being in community with people for me to understand half of the things that I know now. And so on a personal note, I don't ever want people to take that for granted, that I am studied, that I am held in community with people who study that we read together, we challenge each other, we question. And that leads me to my final point for this talk, this episode today, is that if I critique you personally, if I encourage you to read, if I ask you where you found that, it is an act of love, of care, that I'm making an effort to call you in or call you out because I believe that people can learn, change, and grow. Carcerality, this commitment to prisons and policing that we have as a nation state in the U.S. and as smaller communities within ourselves, it is so pervasive, it is so insidious that it shows us a myth of perfection. And that is even connected to our relationship with reading because carcerality teaches us that we should just know. 
that there is no room for us to make mistakes, to atone for those mistakes, and to do better. We must be born with all of the knowledge. We must know all of the things. But restorative justice shows us that you can be called in, you can be shown resources to do better, and you must step up. You must call yourself forward to showing that you can, will, and will always do better. So if I critique you, if I give you a push, a nudge, a resource, it is an act of love. It is an act of care. And I hope you take it as such because I do not take my reading or my library lightly. So thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm going to go drink some water um, and read a book. If you want to know what books I'm reading currently, I'm reading Blood in My Eye by George Jackson for the No Name Book Club for June. And I'm reading Scenes of Subjection by Dr. Sadia Hartman because this book is personally blowing my mind. And I'm fighting with her language because I know that Dr. Hartman is brilliant enough for me to have to fight (laughs) with her work um thank you again for tuning in as always we're here with the pleasure pod your favorite black feminist podcast of all things feel good so that we as a community can feel better mwah